Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Heroes for Healthy Pets. We're passionate about your pet's health. ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking with Dr. Susie Fincham Gray, who's an internal medicine specialist at the B Street Veterinary Hospital. We'll be right back after these messages. Molly, here's your dinner. <laughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Today we have Dr. Susie Fincham Gray, who's an internal medicine specialist who practices at B Street Veterinary Hospital in San Diego. Dr. Fincham Gray, thank you so much for joining us today on ER Vet. You're more than welcome, Dr. Lee. It's nice to speak to you. So give me a little bit of background about yourself and how you came about to actually practice as an internist in San Diego. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started out Actually, you may be able to tell from my accent in England. So uh, my family all still live there. And um, I went to vet school at the Royal Veterinary College, which is in London. And then in 2000, when I graduated, I came to the University of Pennsylvania, which is where I met you. (laughs) And I did my internship there and then my internal medicine residency. And I kind of always knew that I wanted to be an internal medicine specialist because I just love figuring out problems and being a bit of a detective, which is which is just what we do in internal medicine. So I then sort of worked my way across the country somehow from Philadelphia and then Baltimore to a specialty hospital in San Diego. And I've been in San Diego now since 2005. Wonderful. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on today was because I know you've practiced all over the world and yes. throughout the United States. And I wanted to talk about a topic that we're actually seeing quite a bit right now, especially with the Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Harvey and all this Mm -hmm. flooding that's going on. So I wanted to talk about what we call canine leptospirosis. It's sort of a mouthful, so we oftentimes call it lepto. Mm -hmm. But can you give us a little bit of background about what is it and how are dogs or people potentially exposed to this? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Lepto, it is a very timely topic because, as you said, especially with the, a lot of the flooding, which we'll chat about in a second, it's in, you know it's a, it's a very prevalent disease and potentially it's going to increase, especially with the degree of flooding and that's going on on the on the east coast right now. So leptospirosis is an infection that's caused by a bacteria called leptospira. And actually, if you look at it under the microscope, not that any of our listeners will, but it actually is pretty cool looking. It's kind of like a little spiral and it, it's actually got a very cool shape. So it is a bacteria that is found commonly in the environment. There's a reservoir in wildlife, in rats, in raccoons, where they're excreting the bacteria in their urine. And so we find it commonly in the environment because unfortunately, you know, we live alongside a lot of rats. And even if we're in the city, we, you know, there's a pretty big rat population. So the bacteria is excreted in the urine and then can live in water, which is why we're talking about the flooded areas and especially areas where it's kind of warm. The bacteria, the lepto, really likes to live in warm water. And so what can happen is dogs or actually even people who potentially drink contaminated water or who maybe are even walking through contaminated water, if they have abrasions or sores on them, can be exposed to the bacteria, and then that can be what makes them sick. Yeah, so this is actually a huge concern right now. I know it's one of the top zoonotic diseases, which means it can spread mm -hmm. from animals to humans in the world. And yes. unfortunately, through global warming and flooding, I know that we can see this throughout the United States, mostly on the East Coast, the Southeast, you know, the central yeah. area, so Texas. And yes. so again, with all the flooding right now, we definitely want to be aware of what signs to look for in dogs. So what are the classic signs that dogs may present to the emergency room for, for leptospirosis? Yeah, absolutely. So, so unfortunately, leptospirosis can cause some pretty serious problems. And the problem or the disease that we see most commonly is an infection of the kidney. And so when dogs come into the emergency room, the types of things that we might see that they're doing is they may be drinking and urinating excessively, although that may not be until sort of a little bit later in the disease. So but that's one of the classic signs that we see in dogs with kidney problems. They may be vomiting. They may be not wanting to eat. They may just sort of be acting not right. Like we say, ADR ain't doing right. It's a pretty common presentation. They may also have a fever. So they, they may actually, if we are catching them early, they may actually have a fever and they may be just feeling off from that. So it, it's unfortunately, there's no one very telltale sign that we see in dogs, but it can generally be, a you know, any dog who's kind of feeling not right can be, can potentially have leptospirosis. All right. And so I understand it's through exposure, usually through the gums or through drinking water, mm -hmm. and yes. unfortunately can end up attacking the kidneys and actually the liver. So most of the time, can veterinarians do routine blood work to actually screen and test for leptospirosis? Or how are they going to see if a dog is having potential complications from leptospirosis? Yeah, yeah. So you're absolutely right. So the kidney is sort of the, the number one thing, but then the liver can be affected as well. And so just on routine blood work, when we talk about running like a chemistry screen or a chemistry panel, that gives us information about the liver and the kidneys. So we're able to get that information straight away. And a lot of emergency hospitals have 
in-hospital blood analyzers so we can kind of get that information almost straight away. If we're looking for more specific testing, we can look for either the bacteria, the leptospira in the urine, which is actually the place that we often look for it, or we can look for antibodies to the bacteria in the blood. So that's a more specific test that takes longer to run and usually has to be sent out to the lab. But certainly we can get indicators initially on that blood what we can run in the hospital. And so when a veterinarian is testing for this, I know a lot of general veterinarians out there will oftentimes send these blood tests out. So they often don't get the result for a few days. In the meantime, what's the main treatment when we see a dog that may be an acute kidney injury or have liver enzyme or liver blood work elevation um, from this? How are we going to treat it in the ER? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a really important point. So obviously it depends on how sick the patient is, how sick the dog is. A lot of the time, once we're talking about kidney injury, we're talking about intravenous fluids. So that means placing a catheter into a vein and giving fluids that way so we can get the hydration up and we can get the blood flow to the kidneys improved. We're talking about, you know, controlling other signs that might be going on. So, you know, vomiting, we can give medication for that. We can give medication to help with vomiting and with discomfort. But probably the most important aspect of the treatment is going to be getting started specific antibiotics that treat the bacteria and that can kill the bacteria. So that's going to be a real cornerstone of the treatment if we think that leptospirosis could be the problem. And I know that there's two main antibiotics that I use for the treatment of leptospirosis. It's usually a penicillin type antibiotic. Mm -hmm. So amoxicillin or something called clavamox, which is amoxicillin clavulanic acid, but you can also use doxycycline. And so while these are generally safe antibiotics, we don't want to routinely just put all dogs on this when they're acting sick because we can see some side effects from the antibiotics. So what are some of the side effects that we can see from doxycycline? Yeah, doxycycline can be a fairly hard antibiotic on the gut sometimes. Some dogs seem to tolerate it just fine. Other dogs seem to have more problems with it. And of course, if you've got a dog who's already feeling sick and doesn't want to eat, sometimes doxycycline can really make it difficult to figure out whether those problems are from the treatment or from the disease. And so that's one of the things that I always worry about when I'm using doxycycline. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right, Dr. Lee. I tend to not just jump for them. But certainly if I have a high index of suspicion, that would be one of the treatments that we could consider. Although I don't know if we want to get into this, but the doxycycline is more for actually removing the organism, the bacteria from the kidney completely. Once we've treated the more serious part of the infection with the amoxicillin, as you said, or the, or the clavamox. So sort of those two go hand in hand and kind of complement each other when it comes to the treatment. Well, you bring up a great point. So one of the things that we worry about is we want to be able to kill or get rid of this infection, this leptospirosis from the kidney, because we do worry that dogs can actually urinate and spread this into your yard. They can expose you. They can expose your children. How worried do we have to be about potential zoonotic spread from your dog if it's diagnosed and affected to actually bringing your dog home? Yeah, absolutely. So once you start treatment, the important thing 
is to get is that we we as vets have to get rid of the organism that's in the kidney because if we don't then the the organism can continue to be excreted or peed out basically in the urine every time they urinate and so that's where the sort of the double treatment there with the antibiotics is so important generally speaking you know if we're being smart pet owners and and so we are making sure that our dogs are urinating in areas that we can easily clean that we're not allowing our children and ourselves to be exposed to the dog urine directly cleaning surfaces with even you know bleach or a good disinfectant washing our hands after we've handled our dogs if we are concerned or you know if if leptospirosis is part of the the differential for our pets all really important things that we need to do if we do those things i think the risk of exposure is pretty small but you know if you're bathing in dog urine then you may want to curb that habit <laughs> all right great info so just to summarize for dog owners that are out there especially if you're affected in the areas like texas florida mm-hmm. the southeast united states where there's more flooding we especially want to be really really aware of this potential bacteria infection called canine leptospirosis and some of the most common clinical signs that we can see include drinking more than usual urinating more than usual vomiting even if it's just once or twice acting lethargic not wanting to eat potentially having bad breath. So some of these are the classic clinical signs we can see with leptospirosis. And when in doubt, you do want to get to your veterinarian or the emergency veterinarian, even if it's in the middle of the night, because we want to be able to make sure that your dog isn't having any kidney injury, what we call acute kidney injury or liver problems from this. And again, that's where leptospirosis likes to attack the kidney and the liver. So really important that we do blood work to find out what's going on so we can help diagnose this. We're going to continue on with a really cool topic about how to treat leptospirosis in the emergency room right after these messages from our sponsors. She was thrown out of a pickup truck. Somebody threw him out of a car and shattered his leg. They found her walking on the streets. Many have been abused, malnourished, eating garbage. Scabs, itching, licking, missing fur. There's this commercial on TV that the ASPCA does. They want you to send in $19 a month for a dog in the shelter. I think you should go and adopt a dog from the ASPCA and then get that dog on Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. You don't need to spend thousands on vet bills. Their answer is nutrition. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. When you rescue a dog, you've got to feed them right for life. Every rescue deserves at least 90 days of Dynavite. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite is nutrition. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E oh. dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Dot com. <laughs> Welcome back to ER Vet. 
We are on with Dr. Susie Fincham Gray, who's an internal medicine specialist at B Street Veterinary Hospital. And we're talking about a really scary bacterial infection called leptospirosis, which we see throughout the United States, but see more during the fall and during flooding conditions. So Dr. Fincham Gray, I know we talked about some preliminary treatment. And again, that's going to include really aggressive IV fluids to flush out the kidneys, anti-vomiting medication, making sure we're not exposed to the urine as veterinary professionals while we're working in the hospital. And sometimes we'll actually monitor the blood work to make sure that the kidney function and the liver function is getting better. We talked about using antibiotics like penicillins or even doxycycline to treat this. What are some ways that pet owners can keep their dog safe from being potentially exposed to canine leptospirosis? That's a good question, Dr. Lee. The main thing to think about with leptospirosis is that it likes to live in water. So any, which of course is why we're talking about it more in the, you know, in Florida and in Texas, where there are areas that have been flooded, any standing water, so puddles, pools, lakes that dogs might drink from or even could go swimming in can potentially expose them to the the leptospira bacteria. And so really trying to avoid those areas or muddy, swampy areas where dogs like to go and romp around. It's a good idea, particularly when there's been a heavy rainfall and there's the flooding as recently, to really try and avoid those areas with your dogs if you can. Now, I know that when I went to vet school 20 years ago, what I was taught was when dogs are exposed to leptospirosis, it's usually those roaming outdoor farm dogs that are, you know, big Labradors that are running around. And I know more recently, it's been really interesting because we've seen a change in population of who and what dogs are actually getting sick from lepto. It's smaller dogs, less than 10 to 15 pounds that are often terriers that live right in the city, like downtown St. Paul, downtown Minneapolis, or downtown San Diego. And One of the reasons why we think we're seeing it more in smaller dogs is because of exposure to mouse and rat urine. And I'm sure you ask owners all the time, you know, does your dog swim or are they exposed to deer or raccoons? And most people don't think so. But I think people forget that, unfortunately, they're exposed to rat urine, which is disgusting, on a city sidewalk, (laughs) right? Yeah, exactly. And so those dogs that, you know, are only, only ever going out to the backyard, unfortunately, they are still being potentially exposed to leptospirus. So you're absolutely right. Our questions that we ask, you know, that you're absolutely right. When I was at vet school too, those are the things we were always taught, you know, have they been around cows or, you know, have they gone swimming? And now we really have to think a, a little bit differently about that. So, and I think the other thing that's interesting is especially in a lot of urban areas, people, you know, tending to have backyard chickens and while they're, they're really fun, have, they unfortunately also attract rats. And so if you're living in an urban environment where people have those kinds of pets in their backyard, that's also something to think about too, that the rat population there may be bigger than you would like to think of. The other important thing to realize is there's actually a vaccine for it. So absolutely talk to your veterinarian about this. It's an annual vaccine. So your dog does need it every year because um, the vaccine doesn't last three years like some other vaccines out there. And so if you're in a high risk area, you live in a city, you have a smaller dog, 
there's a potential for them to be exposed to any kind of urination or wildlife on the city street, right on the sidewalk. Unfortunately, that's what we're seeing. And so it's a very, very safe vaccine. Your dog does need two vaccines, typically one month apart. And again, very, very safe. The vaccine 20 or even 10 years ago was more what they call hot. So it could mm-hmm. cause some mild reaction. And the reason why is because the way they create the vaccine, it has a lot of protein in it in order for it to protect your dog. And that's been dramatically purified since then. So if you're nervous about the vaccine reaction, talk to your veterinarian, but the risk of it has dramatically decreased in the past decade. So the last thing I wanted to bring up is what do you tell pet owners? Like, obviously, you know, don't touch your dog's urine, but, you know, do they have to bleach their backyard or bleach their house? How do they protect themselves? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the really important thing to remember, especially with regards to, you know, the backyard, for example, is that if your backyard is pretty dry and it has good sun exposure, the bacteria is actually not that strong outside water. So it's it's probably not really going to survive for any significant period of time. But certainly, you know, don't go and play on the grass or have a picnic on the grass where your dog has urinated if your dog has potentially been exposed to to leptospirosis. With regards to sort of bleaching your backyard, that can be a pretty challenging thing to do. And so again, it's a case of trying to get rid of any standing water that's there. If there are concrete areas that you can clean down with a a bleach solution, that's certainly not a bad idea. And then again, smart handling. So washing your hands. If your dog has been exposed to leptospirosis, then wearing gloves to clean up the urine, drying up any areas where there is urine, and then cleaning that area with bleach are the types of things that that I would suggest that, that an owner would be would be doing at home if their dog had been diagnosed with the disease. Great information. So don't go too crazy bleaching your backyard, but talk to your veterinarian about prevention. So again, vaccinating your dog, ideally keeping your dog at a flooded water. Don't let them play in that area, unfortunately. And I see a lot of flooding in the Mississippi, right where I live in Minnesota. So even my dog is vaccinated for lepto. Um, But just be aware, it only protects against four different types of leptospirosis. And there's over 200 types of this bacteria. So you do still want to be really careful about it. Um, And I think the most important thing, I, I tell owners not to freak out too much, because once we start your dog on the appropriate antibiotic for typically several days, then most of the time the risk of shedding it to you is very, very low. So again, don't worry too much, but it is important that we realize that it is a potential zoonotic risk. That's a good point, Dr. Lee. Certainly, it's important to remember that especially if your dog has been in the hospital a couple of days recovering from the infection with on IV fluids, by the time they get home and they've been on those antibiotics for several days, they're probably pretty safe. They're probably not, not excreting the bacteria to any significant extent at that point. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Susie Fincham-Gray, it's been so fantastic having you on ER Vet today. And I understand you have a book coming out in April of 2018 called Chasing Zebras, a veterinarian stories of healing and loving animals. And I was just wondering if you could give us a little bit of background about what this book is about and how people can find it. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So Chasing Zebras, as I call it (laughs) in my English accent, it's a a memoir. It's based on my life as a veterinarian. And it starts really in England when I wanted to be a vet many, many years ago now and sort of takes my journey from England to Philadelphia, 
finally to San Diego and, and really it's focused on the pets and the owners that I met along the way. And it's, it's an ex exploration of what I've learned as a veterinarian that maybe talks to a broader experience as life as a person, you know. And so I think that it hopefully has a little something for everyone. There are cats and dogs in the book. And so each story is a little little chapter in my life as, as a veterinary internal medicine specialist. Wonderful. So if you like Grey's Anatomy or House, this is the veterinary version. So definitely check out this book, <laughs> Chasing Zebras. Thanks. And you can get it online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and your local independent booksellers will, will carry it too. Wonderful. Can't wait to find out and check that out in the spring. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or feel free to email me at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, but we wanted to give a huge thank you again to Dr. Susie Fincham Gray and Mark Winter, our producer, for making the show possible. We'll see you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.